from 99.9 The Fan. This is The Drive with Tim Donnelly. Sponsored by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. We'll find out if you're one of us here relatively soon. Wanted to give a shout out to Womble. It's where my wife works. And they had an ACC tip-off event at the Angus Barn today where I got to, to moderate a conversation with NC State's Derek Wittenberg, Carolina's Eric Montross, and Duke assistant Jay Lucas, who has taught his dad was John Lucas II. Uh, he's from here at Maryland, incredible tennis player, all that fun stuff, fun conversation. But I need for you to correct me on something because Derek Wittenberg is convinced – and he's never been on this program. And I'm like, no, Wit, that's not he true. He hasn't been with us, but he was on Pack Therapy last year, and large portions of that interview were used on this program. Yeah, I was like, dude, you sat down with me in gold one time at, like, at a Final Four back in the day. Like, what are you talking about? I think we even had talked to Wit during the pandemic. Yes! Or at least I did. I'm pretty <laughs> sure somebody did. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Might have been one of those days... No, because during the pandemic, you didn't let me do anything by myself. No, you weren't ready yet. Not you, yeah, you, were, you were not ready yet in the pandemic. So, no, no he must have been involved. <laughs> you must have been involved. Or that, or you're just giving me crap. It's entirely possible. Both. Anyway, yeah. it, was a, uh, it was a fun conversation, and it was definitely a reminder of, oh, crap, the college basketball season's like two weeks away. Yeah. November 7th. <laughs> All the things at once, man. It's here. All the things at once. So what's going to happen? What's going to happen when the triangle, when uh, North Carolina wins the Coastal Division and beats Clemson in football, as you've predicted, and then mm-hmm. they go back to the Final Four in basketball? What's going to happen, Joe? Mm. It's just another day in the in the park for the heels. Uh, I guess so. I guess something nice can happen to them. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, Todd, it's, it's totally going to happen. All things coming up, Tar Heels, man. All things coming up, Tar Heels. All right. So Matt Rule introduced to us the concept of the way of the Panther. Before he was fired. And we also figured out that you were either with the program or you weren't. One of us or not one of us. O-O-U, as he used to say in text messages. So it's time to find out on the way of the OG whether or not you are one of us with some of these sports opinions. Let's go, Dennis. This is the way. All right. Matt Ryan will be the starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers in 2023. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not OU on that one. I'm not one of y'all, if that's what you think. But if there's a Shanahan disciple out there calling plays, Shanahan made his hay in Atlanta calling plays for Matt Ryan. Maybe you draft a quarterback. Uh, I was reading today that the biggest part of the problem for Matt Ryan with the Colts is it's the amount of money that they owe him next year. Yeah. And if he gets hurt, then they will owe him $5 million more toward their cap and they don't want to have to burn five million dollars more on top of the 12 they already owe him so i could see i could see it i could see it i can't depending on the coach though like it just depends that's what i'm saying like you could draft somebody you could think about it you could get them for nothing sure they're gonna cut them or whatever they're gonna do you're gonna get for nothing and if it literally is someone who with the shanahan playbook why wouldn't you want the guy who to date has run the shanahan playbook better than anyone else I, Again, no. they're not benching Matt Ryan because he's not good. They're no. benching him because for financial reasons. No, they're benching him. I think that's where the difference between you and me comes through. They're benching Matt Ryan because he's not good. 
It's it's he's not he's, good enough to justify the money that they owe him next year. Which gets to a larger conversation about the Indianapolis Colts and just how many cracks at it are they going to have in the post Andrew Luck era? I have no time for the Colts other than my guy from Garner. Yeah, I have no time for them. You know why? How many times do you get to hit the lottery? I mean, seriously, you get Peyton Manning, you get Andrew Luck, you got you got to make the same with the Packers. When Aaron Rodgers is finally gone, I don't want to hear it. You guys need to pipe down about your quarterback luck. All right. What do we have next, Dennis? This is the way. I'm just excited I got to use pipe down. I know. Mac Jones will start for the Panthers in 2023. <laughs> I can see this, too, because he's I, a former first-round pick. <laughs> I can see this a heck of a lot more than I can see Matt Ryan. I'm gonna, I'm, can I have one foot in with you all? One of us? Kind of? Sort of? Uh, you know, I'm in. One of us. Only a Sith talks in absolutes. But I can see it. So okay. I'm going to go with yes. One of us. I'm one of y'all on this one. Yes. If Matt Rule was still around, yes. I do not see this, though. All right, next. This is the way. The Carolina Panthers will win the NFC South. You one of us? One of us. One of us. One of us. It's totally going to happen. It's totally, it's totally going to happen because I want to watch David Tepper squirm and try to make a decision with Steve Wilkes, the interim head coach. And what do you do with a guy who comes in, cleans up the mess of Matt Rule, wins the division, and you're not going to give him the job? I want to see that unfold. It's actually more in play than it was a week ago, Easily. but I still don't think it'll work out that way for the Panthers. All right, well, then who's going to win the division? That's the question, because the, the the Bucks look like they are they're, down bad They are. They're in a right bit of a now. spiral. They lost to the Steelers, a wounded Steelers program the week before. Now you have this loss to the Panthers, so you're sitting here asking yourself, well, who are you going to beat? I still think there is a little bit of a matter of pride that kicks in. Their defense is still the best in the division. So ultimately, I will say it is the Bucks, but I don't think it's much more than 9-8, and eight, Joe. I mean, 10-7 and seven at best. Yeah. 9-8 and eight is probably what gets you to the, to the finish line. Entirely possible. All right, next. This is the way. Devin Leary will return to NC State next year. One of us. You want me to answer this one? The answer. Answer the question. With insider knowledge or? Yeah, with insider <laughs> yes, knowledge. With yes, with insider knowledge. Yes, that's the why you're here, Joe. <clears throat> Is this like the OG mixtape? We have a pass option? <laughs> no. I'm going to go. Oh, you I'll, know know, I'll know more. I'll know, I'll know more on Thursday. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm going to go with no. Devin Leary won't be with the Wolfpack next year. And I'm just going to – I'm saying no from my own opinion. No. Go try to get on with an NFL team and start making money, man. You, you did the right thing coming back this year. Try – you know, run it back. You got your goals. You're trying to, you know, win the division, get to an ACC championship. Who knows? You know, New Year's Six Bowl game. But you got hurt. Football, man. The clock starts running. And if you can get on a roster and start making money, do it. Yeah, I hope he's healthy enough to go through the NFL draft process and the evaluation yep. there. That That's the big concern. So I'm going to not be one of us on that one. Not OOU. All right, next up. This is the way. We will have a three-way tie for the Coastal Division, and UNC will get the tiebreaker. You one of us? One of us. Actually, everybody... Every, everybody that North Carolina needed to lose this past weekend did. So I don't even know if we're going to get to the tiebreaker situation. But if they do end up in a tiebreaker, one of us. I am in with Carolina winning the three-way tie. Who you got? 
So that would be what? Um, and they have a two-game lead on everyone, right? Like, every, every, it all broke for them this past weekend. I think six and two wins the division, and I don't see anyone else going six and two. So not one of us, because everyone else would have to run the table. Well, and you also have to Miami, be- Pitt, Duke. GT would have to run the table. You also remember Carolina's in this factor too. No, I know, but they're three and zero. What I'm saying is they can go three and two the rest of the way. Be six and two, and I don't see anyone else going six and two. There you go. We got any more? This is the way. Final one. Both Duke and UNC make it back to the Final Four. You one of us? No, no. I don't think either one makes it to the Final Four next year. Oh. He said, "He don't look at me." He said it. Yeah, I know that. He bo- said it. Don't I know look that, at me. I know that bothers Gilio because you probably have a ticket here, but I'm saying neither one makes it the final four. Multiple tickets. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's part of the reason why I think they're not going to make it to the final four. <laughs> Whoa, sir. Excuse I'm gonna me. Wa- I'm going to wait to Whoa. see what Governor Roy Cooper says. He usually that's gets fair. it right. He usually gets it right. No, I'm going to go with no. I, I, I the, the closer we get to the start of the basketball season. The more I think we have to appreciate just how everything came together for the Tar Heels last year. And while I understand that veteran teams are kind of like this, the usual MO, the NCAA tournament is a chaos machine, man. It's a chaos machine. Chaos is a ladder, Drew. I ain't bang, I'm not banging on anything next year. And the bracket going to break for them the way they did, they did this past year? You know, right down to St. Peter's or whatever the whatever that New Jersey school was called. Hey, you know what I'm saying? Peacocks, the Jersey Peacocks, City. and then of course you get Duke in the Final Four. Like, psh, man, we ruined their final home game. We ruined the Final Four for them. I don't know, man. Last year was special. You, for you them. are correct in that the tournament is a crap shot. Yes, yes. But you've got tickets. <laughs> I got tickets. Yeah, this is the way. Fair Say enough. otherwise. So the at the college football tastemakers have had their opinions known or have made their opinions known about the upcoming college football playoff. We'll get our first rankings, not today, but next Tuesday. Uh, Joel Klatt for Fox Sports. He's a Big Ten guy. And Paul Feinbaum, who's the SEC guy on ESPN, offering up some interesting points of view. We'll get to that in just a bit. But the Canes wrapped up their Canadian road trip. In Vancouver last night, they get the win 3-2. Uh, that's what Rod Brindamer wanted. We all know that the head coach is a process guy. He wanted to close it out on a strong streak, and that's exactly what happened. Be sure to check out Kane's Corner with Sebastian Ajo now that they're back this Wednesday at Backyard Bistro. And if you want to know more about the Canes, you can check out Kane's Corner podcast with Adam Gold, New Morning After Pod. But here's two minutes. Two minutes. Hey, fellas. I got two minutes for ending the road trip in style with a flourish 3-2 win in Vancouver. All the talk after the 3-2 overtime loss in Calgary on Saturday was how the power play was trash. It was one step below yay, or two steps below yay. I don't even know what two steps below yay is. Well, Andre Svechnikov to the rescue, six minutes in. Across for Svechnikov, they score! The power play, cooking early! one nothing Carolina in Vancouver. Four minutes later, the Canes were this close to doubling the lead. Now it's Stefan Sharp angle right on. Rebounds available. Backhand by Nathan. Still there. They'll score! They're going to wave it off. 
Only problem, goal waved off, goalie interference, and after the challenge by Rod Brindamore, the Canes gave up a power play goal, and it was 1-1. And that's where it stayed until the Sebastian Ajo trio went to work in the third. Now Jarvis comes right in, rebounds available, Ajo scores! Rod Brindamore will be happy with that. The Canes jump out, 2-1, 50 seconds here in the third. Ajo's fourth of the year, 50 seconds in, 2-1, 37 seconds later, Jesper Ronaldo Faust booted one over the keeper from the top of the six-yard box. For his first goal of the season, it's 3-1. Canes hung on from there. They win it 3-2, and they are finally coming home Friday night against the Islanders. Canes are 4-1-1 on the season, and Gilio, in case you're scoring at home, Canes and Canucks tied after one, plus 190, check. Tavo Teravina and Elias Pettersson, each with an assist, plus 370, check. More dumb wagers that managed to cash. Stick with me, Booby. I'll take you places. Plus 560 yesterday, Joe. That's Adam Gold. That's two wow. minutes. Brought to you by Tysart Willis. If uh, you want to, if you want to catch the full Canes Corner, check it out wherever you get your podcast. He's calling you out on the uh, the bad the bad wagers. Yeah, because I no no no. There's a difference. Yeah, I'm not saying there's, there's no such thing as a bad bet. Actually, there is. All bets are bad. I, but that's just me. I think certain props are dumb. Yeah, you you okay. you have a thing here. Mm. Like trying to predict when someone's going to hit a home run, lucidly predict when someone's going to hit a home run in a baseball game. Come on. Yeah, but you, know, but you know that's where gambling is clearly headed. I, I understand that. And I'm trying no, to get the me. But I have no problem doing that within a game. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. You, Got you, it. you can watch an at bat and say, oh, he's really close, or mm-hmm. oh, this or that. To say before a game that someone's going to hit a home run, or take hockey. You're gonna, someone's going to score a goal. There's 82 games, right? A good goal scorer scores 25 in a year. Sure. So a quarter of the time, you're going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, three quarters of the time, you're going to be wrong. Only a quarter of the time, you're going to be right. You tell me that you can lucidly predict that quarter of the time you're going to be right, and I'll I'll just tell you you're a liar. <laughs> Simple. Fair enough. Fair enough. This is from Stuart Mandel. On uh, he's from the Athletic, and he posted the most watched college football games from Week Eight. You got your usual suspects on there, like Texas and Oklahoma State, Iowa, Ohio State on Fox, Ole Miss, LSU, the mighty SEC. Three point nine million people watched it, et cetera, et cetera. Mississippi State, Alabama on ESPN. They got three point four six million. You know what the what the most watched college football game was of the week? The Cuse and Clemp. Syracuse and Clemson on ABC with four point seven million. Clearly, people do give a damn about ACC football, and they do give a damn about Clemson when they're good. It's not lost on me that Clemson has been in a lot of marquee games on ABC primetime uh, this season alone. So Clemson finds itself in a weird position where. They've done what's been asked of them. We talked about this yesterday. You give Dabo, the head coach of the, of the Clemson Tigers, a lot of credit for pushing the right buttons. That's how you put it. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing when to take DJ out. the second half, man. Push the right buttons, and they come out of the way with a win, with a, which I think is a, against a good Syracuse team with a really great defense that has you know caused problems so far this year. And yet, despite it all, Clemson finds itself having to argue with people about their place in the college football playoff pecking order. Joel Klatt was the one who really got this going over the weekend. He's a Fox sports guy, part of the big noon kickoff on Fox. Dennis, is this on the is this on Coward show? This is on his show. Uh, okay. Joel Klatt show. Oh, oh, on the Joel Klatt show. My bad. I didn't realize Joel Klatt had a show. I'm out of the loop. So here's Joel Klatt, I guess, expanding on his tweet, and he's just doing the classic college football 
engagement engine conversation of, I mean, I don't know if this team's good or not. Here he is on Clemson. There's no other team in the country with an easier path to the playoff than Clemson. And it's been this way for quite some time. Quite some time. This is a team that has gotten the benefit of an eight-game conference schedule, uh, not nine, and a ridiculously weak one-team conference. You know, not I mean, even Oklahoma had had a tougher gauntlet through the Big 12 to go to the playoff in some of those years than what Clemson has had throughout their tenure, uh, Dabo's tenure in these playoff years. And that's not to to tell you, to say like they didn't have good teams. No, of course they like they had great teams. They won national championships. So I'm not arguing that they shouldn't go. I'm just saying like, boy, do we really think that they're any good? I don't think so. And and we're not going to know until the playoff. And they're going to be there, by the way. So we're really playing for three spots. I don't know if we're really playing for three spots. I also disagree with Joel Klatt's idea that who have they played? They keep playing ranked teams. Are you basically saying the voters are full of crap and they don't know what you're talking about? Wake, Wake Forest is in the top 10 this week in the AP Top 25, and I'm sure they're going to show up pretty decently in the college football playoff rankings. Michigan seems to be the team, Gilio, that a lot of people are bringing up. And, I, and okay, like, all right, let's go look at let's, let's go look to see who Michigan has played and who they've beaten. And I'm sitting here going, oh, so you beat Maryland, 34-27, okay. You beat, uh, you beat Indiana, oh, cool, Indiana, 31-10. to, to 10. Uh, Iowa, what do we know about Iowa? They don't have an offense. The fact that they scored 14 points against Michigan is impressive. Ah, there it is. They beat Penn State, 41-17. to 17. But then again, you go and look to see who Penn State's played on their way to a ranking. You're not really seeing much there. When you look at the remainder of Michigan's schedule, it really does come down to one game, the Ohio State game. It's not the Michigan State game. They got Rutgers. They got Nebraska, who fired their coach earlier this year. I know Illinois is ranked right now, but again, if you're going to get on Clemson for having, well, are these AC teams really all that good? Well, is Illinois really the 17th best team in the country right now? You're shaking your head. So I'm still, the thing has not been answered for me. Why is it that Clemson is talked about in this way when you have other examples of teams that are in similar positions, but we just give them the benefit of the doubt. I think it starts with the reputation of the ACC. Like he said, they have the easiest path. But they got a bunch of ranked teams. The reputation of the ACC. And I think there have been years. But what he's dismissing is, yes, there's usually one or two other ranked teams in the ACC. And in almost all of those years, Clemson beats that team. Mm Mm-hmm. There's also the, the matter of Clemson's schedule. They play South Carolina every year. That's an SEC team. Now, South Carolina hasn't been great in this run for Clemson through the playoff era. Yeah. But usually they're formidable at least, right? Then that you have to add in what that Clemson every year will schedule an SEC team at the beginning of the year. Which they did Georgia, not Georgia, Texas A&M, Auburn. You know, they regularly play these games out of the league. So they just didn't. They just happen to be one of the years that they didn't do it this year because they have the Notre Dame game. So I, I, while I don't disagree with what Joel Clyde is saying in terms of the path, I also think it's probably going to be a point of argument that that will benefit the ACC as they try to sweet talk Clemson and other teams from leaving the conference for potentially you know flashier Maybe. financial pathways. Now, in the interest of fairness, and we'll close the conversation on this, I have been asking, okay, well, if we're going to do this with Clemson, why are we not getting the same sort of treatment with Alabama? Alabama has been flirting with disaster a good bit of this season. It finally caught up to them. They lost at Tennessee on a field goal. 
Credit to Paul Feinbaum, SEC guy, ESPN, pondering the question, will Alabama make the college football playoff given what we've seen out of the Crimson Tide? No, Mm -hmm. uh, I would not. And here's the reason. They've lost their margin for error by losing to Tennessee. So their schedule is this, a week from Saturday at LSU. Dangerous, maybe not impossible. They'll be the favorite. After that, they have Ole Miss. And and then their season calms down a little bit. They they finish with Auburn, which is, is a mess right now. But they'll have to play Georgia or Tennessee. I think if they end up with Georgia, they'll have a hard time winning again. Now, they could beat Tennessee in a neutral site. I don't think today they could beat Alabama. So that would possibly, I, I think in more, more than likely eliminate them. Yeah, there's still a mathematical chance, depending on everyone else, but I wouldn't give them a very high probability. Credit to Feinbaum for having an honest conversation about where Alabama is right now. Still clap. You know, that's growth. That's growth. I appreciate that. Joining me now on the Heaster Automotive Group Hotline, Duke football coach Mike Elko. That's a smiling face right there because he's coming off of a huge win over Miami. And, and, and Mike, man, if, if your parents are both still with us, I can't even imagine they would think you're having the start to this career that you're having. It's just been, it's been remarkable what you've been able to do in your first year at Duke. So I'm, I'm hoping you're enjoying the open date here, but it just kind of, are you pinching yourself yet at this point or, or how are you feeling about the amazing start that you've had to this season in your career as a head coach? Yeah, I, I don't know about pension, but certainly uh, very thankful for the, the buy-in we've gotten from this locker room and this team. And I think that's the that's the biggest thing is we came in here with a message like a lot of first-year head coaches did. And, you know, we were able to get our kids to buy into what we were selling and what we were preaching. And um, that's not always how it goes. You know, and I've been through a lot of these before, not as the head coach, but I've been through a lot of first-time staffs before. And um, you don't get quite the same level of buy-in that we've gotten from this group. And so, you know, credit to our leadership, credit to our older kids that have really wanted to change the, the course of Duke football. And then you know, they've gone out this year and they've made plays and they've done it. And so, you know, now we've got to finish the stretch. we got four games left in November and, you know, we got to finish what we started. Yeah, Duke's off to a five and three start under Mike Echo. They're coming off a 45-21 win at Miami, they have the week off. They'll host Boston College on, excuse me, go to Boston College on Friday, November 4th. So, Mike, I, I kind of like the the coaching process. And I, I don't know if I'm alone in this or not. My, my dad was a high school coach for 25 years. So I'm curious, you lose a, a gut buster to Carolina. And in a lot of teams, it's hard to get them back the next week. How were you able to pick your group up after the Carolina game to not only come out, and you know, play at Miami but really dominate Miami in the way that you did yeah I mean I think it was a it was a long process you know it didn't it didn't happen right away for sure it didn't happen for us as a coaching staff but I told them that you know normally you do the whole you know by the time we get back in the building Sunday you want that one away but um you know we came back on on Tuesday morning and I said all right listen it, it wasn't gone for me either but like let's let's start moving forward and I think as the week went on you know, obviously we started to get it out of our system and then you just focus on the next opportunity. And that sounds like coach speak, but it's the reality. You know, the only way we could get rid of that bad feeling we had against North Carolina was to get back into a winning locker room. Um, and it really didn't matter who that winning locker room was against. And so, um, you know, we were able to go out there and make enough plays and then you get that feeling again at the end of, of accomplishment. And so, you know, the kids get addicted to that feeling, you know, that winning locker room at the end of the football game, there's nothing like it. And so we were able to get them kind of focused back in on that. And then they were able to go out and get the job done. You've doubled the comp 
conference win total from the previous two seasons. And you mentioned that confidence and that buy-in and that addicted feeling. Is that really where it has to start, where those players see the reward? They have that tangible reward? Yeah, and, and really it was, you know, and, and again, everybody looks back at what they did and when it works, it seems like it was great. But um, well, we kind of started that in the offseason. One of the things we really spent a lot of time with, and this was just kind of the mantra of our entire offseason, was winning is good and losing sucks. And, like, it's as simple as that. But, like, really, we used to joke about them. And, you know, when we won, we gave the kids good things. When we did competitions, the winning team got good things. And when we lost, there were, there were consequences. And, and we just wanted to, like, reestablish that very baseline thought process of, you know, we've got to do the things that we've got to do to have success and win games because it just feels better that way and bring that back to this locker room and bring that back to this culture. And obviously the kids are embracing it. Mike Elko, Duke football coach, joining us here on the Heaster Automotive Group Hotline. I, I, that was a little bit of music to my ears there. Winning is good, losing sucks. Like <laughs> sometimes we try to overcomplicate things, and yeah. I don't have to tell you in your business that that's that's a common theme, right? Yeah. You try being on the air 15 hours a week, man. Like we yeah. we parse through these things as if it's like <laughs> rocket surgery, right? Like no, man. Winning's no. good, losing sucks. Here I got another one for you. If your quarterback's really good, like Riley Leonard has been this year for you, guess what? That that helps He's you. He's gonna win. be okay. That helps you win. There's no doubt about it. You know, in a league, honestly, in a league that's been filled with really, really good quarterback play this year, too, it's, it's uh, obviously he's been a, a tremendous bright spot for our offense and our program and the job he's doing as a competitor out there leading us and, and certainly uh, has galvanized that offense because who wouldn't want to get behind a kid that plays the game the way he does? Not to, just to continue our oversimplification theme, it was important for you, you're a defensive guy, defensive coordinator is your background, right? It's important to get the right play caller. And I'm just kind of curious with Kevin Johns, so far so good, of course. But how did you kind of land on Kevin? And, and how, what was that process like? And was it, you know, did you have games against Memphis? Or was it, how did you kind of come about, like, this is what I want our offense yeah. to do and look like? Yeah, so, so you know, I had a list. Like, every head coach has this list. And, and really what I did was, after I got hired, I just, I watched film of every offensive coordinator that I was interested in. And I just looked at it about attacking it from a defensive mindset. And so I watched about eight games on, on a handful of different coordinators that I was considering. And, um, you know, from that, I just felt like Kevin did a really, really good job of mixing things up. And the week to week, there was good changes in what they were doing system-wise. And uh, they were obviously productive over a long period of time. And then Kevin had such a background with, some really strong offensive coaches. He had been with Cliff Kingsbury. He had been with Kevin Wilson. Um, he had been with Mike Norvell. He had been with a lot of really strong offensive minds. And so I just felt like it was what I was looking for. It had a big, big knowledge base. And then, you know, him and I got to spend quite a bit of time together like this on Zoom and, you know, just really enjoyed his personality and the connection was there. And so that was the direction we ended up going. Duke football coach Mike Elko, the Blue Devils are five and three, two and two in the league. They have this Saturday off. Return to action at Boston College. It's a Friday night game on ESPN, 7 o'clock game, Friday, November 4th. Coach, before we let you go, you, you've now entered into the good problem portion of the season. Your team's 5-3. and three. You've exceeded expectations. But how do you prevent your players and your group from kind of dumping the Gatorade too soon here? How do you, how do you, how do you let them know, hey, man, we, got, we need to stay focused and, and keep playing the way that we did to, to get to 5-3 and three and really close the season the way that we want to? Yeah, I mean, we never put expectations on the season. And so in our minds, we haven't accomplished anything yet. You know, we're, 
we're eight games into a 12 game season and, and we set out with this thing to get whatever we could and as much as we could. And so what I told them after the Miami game was we set ourselves up to play meaningful games in November. Now let's go take advantage of it and let's get greedy and let's see where we can go, you know, and the coastal race isn't over, you know, we know it's an uphill battle and we know we don't control our own destiny, but you know, let's go out and win as many games as we can and try to win every opportunity we can and see where that puts us at the end of this thing. And I think the kids, uh, have responded to that. You know, obviously, we don't feel like we're that far away from being a seven and one, eight and zero football team. And so, um, I think they believe that they can go out there every single week and compete and play and win. And so, we'll continue to do that through the end of November. I actually lied to you, but I, I can do that because you know you, you spent some time in my neck of the woods. I, I can't. I got too many too many people telling me about what what was your reaction. Let me just try to get you in trouble. How about that? Okay. Are you okay with that? Sure. Are you over the Carolina I game? I, I think I know where we're going. Are, are you over the oh, Carolina game? Or I'll ask it in a way that you can ask, actually answer it. Did you get a sufficient answer from the ACC when you sent them whatever whatever tape and whatever calls that you didn't agree with? Did you get a sufficient answer from the ACC, from the Carolina game? Yeah. I mean, you know, the sufficient answer you're looking for is is not ever going to come your way. And so okay. we, we put ourselves in a position where the officials – could it could affect the outcome and, and we don't want to do that and there were a lot of plays over the course of that game that we could have made or we could have done differently to not be in that situation and and you know so because we were it is what it is you know obviously I wish some of those calls would have went a different direction um some of them I thought were just really tightly called some of them I thought were you know should have been called but it is what it is and, and that's not you know, that's not an excuse. We had an opportunity to win that football game in the beginning. And that's what I told our kids. And, and um, you know, if we allow somebody else to put, put our fate in their hands and shame on us for doing that. The Ivy League guy is way too smart for me. Couldn't do it. Couldn't get you in trouble. Mike Elko, enjoy your week off. Enjoy the uh, final four games of the season. Done an amazing job. Something tells me there'll be a vote that looks like Mike Elko, ACC Coach of the Year, coming your way pretty soon. So enjoyed your time. Thank you very much for it. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks, Joe. Your heart. It's the only one you have. Fortunately, you also have a choice. Expert cardiologists, talented surgeons, highly skilled specialists, all of whom chose WakeMed. Why? The main reason is the same reason patients choose WakeMed. Everything you need for the best possible care is right here. Learn more at WakeMed.org. WakeMed Heart and Vascular Physicians. Your heart, your choice.